0: Well, good morning, and let me welcome you as well to our time of being in worship and in seeing what God's Word has for us this morning. Uh, as Pastor Sam pointed out, we've been walking through the book of Mark, and this chapter that we're looking at this morning, this this chapter, chapter eleven, is a chapter that is just filled with noise. It is it is filled with events that just are an uproar. We we enter in, we begin into it. We'll see the picture of the triumphal entry where there's just filled with celebration, and then later we'll come to a place where we have a different environment where also filled with noise, but it's not the noise of celebration, it's the noise of, of justice as Jesus overturns the temple. But our entrance in is a time, as we said, it's, it's a triumphal entry. It's a, it's a time of people shouting and palm leaves waving and, and children laughing, men sitting there and just waiting with anticipation of the day that this could change everything, because Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And the celebration is is over the top. And as he comes, he's taking in the worship that is being offered him. He he looks at the, the little children that are drawing near and they are just laughing and celebrating. They he, he sees the women that are drawing close and and wanting wanting to touch him. And he sees the men that that are filled with anticipation that finally, maybe this day has come. And and what we've longed for is is now here. But what they don't see is mixed in with this celebration and this triumph is an element of sorrow. Sorrow that they didn't see, they didn't know, but only a short time before it was Jesus looking past the event that was, looking to an event that was to come. An event that they didn't understand as they, they praised. It's an event that, that Jesus will say, as we, I guess it helps if I turn the, the clicker on. Would that even today that you knew the things that make for peace as you're celebrating, if you only knew that. But now they are hid for your, from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies will cast up a bank about you and surround you and hem you in on every side and dash you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Because you did not know the day of your visitation. Amidst the Hosanna, Hosanna, the Lord has come. Muffled sounds of incredible sorrow of the devastation that was to come. It's the prophecy of an army that an army would come and it would surround the city that wanted to be in peace but an army would surround it and, and it says that under Titus they would come and they would set the temple and the city on fire and they would be watching as the gold from the temple would drip down over the stones and go into the crevices and literally it would says, they are going to tear down every stone to get at the gold that they would cast down every stone just as we have just read. They will not leave one stone upon another in you. And Jesus, amidst the celebration, seeing seeing the place of great sorrow because they missed what the prophet had said. The prophet had said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. He's triumphant and he's victorious. But he's going to be humble. And he's going to be riding on the colt, the foal of an ass. Zechariah's prophecy telling them exactly what they should expect to see, but what they weren't willing to see. Because this wasn't the picture of of a Messiah that they wanted to embrace. But, But literally to the very day, it was the prophecy that 483 years before, A prophecy was made where a king would make a decree that would rebuild the city, and literally to the very day, that prophecy that Daniel gives is fulfilled that in this many years, your Messiah will come riding on a colt, and he will come into Jerusalem, but you will reject him. You won't be ready for him. And it's interesting as Mark picks out the picture that we're looking at in Mark 11 today that actually in some ways he, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time on actually, actually the entrance because his focus is drawn to a rather strange place instead. It is drawn to a tree that if you open your pages of Mark 11 and you follow in, you will see that Jesus comes to a tree that isn't fulfilling the purpose for which it was designed. It's not doing what it was created to do. And at first, the picture seems very out of sync with the pictures that we are given. We, we have the celebration, the palm leaves waving, the, the shouts coming. We get that, we understand that. And then later we'll see, as we talked about, we'll, we'll see the, the overthrow of the temple that, that Jesus is so upset about. The, the temple where we're given the picture of that tables will be turning and birds will be flying and chaos will be raining. That's what Jesus will later do. But in between, he shows us this picture which seemingly seems to look like just a bad-tempered Jesus because he's hungry and he can't eat. And so he comes to a tree, a fig tree, and, and he curses it. And it says later, that, and we'll look at, it says later that Peter will later look at and say, this tree's dead to the roots. It's totally gone. And yet, connecting this image of celebration, of triumphal entry, and this other picture of condemnation where Jesus is condemning false religion and false seeking after me, he focuses on a tree foreshadowing another tree that would come, a tree that would also bring death and reveal death. And the fig tree, as we see where it says, on the following day, after Jesus having gone and looked at the temple, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see it if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. You see, the fig tree, what it did is it symbolized Israel. You were to be a people that would feed my people. You would be fruit that would demonstrate it to the rest of the world. You were to, to live as God's people It would usher in celebration of God's promised one, the Messiah, king, who would come, of whom the prophets spoke. But, but you didn't like the picture you saw when he came. So you weren't willing to bow. Not willing if it meant giving up your wants and your desires. I'm not bowing before them And then the next day, the the temple's uproar just confirmed it all, illustrating how far they had come and turned away from the picture God wanted for them. But to understand that, we need to return back to the place of the fig tree. And yes, Jesus is hungry, and he does go to the tree, but it says that it's not the season for fruit. (laughs) And so... Jesus seems, as I said, bad-tempered. Like, (laughs) fruit shouldn't be expected to be on the tree. It's not the season for it. It's Passover. It's April. And figs don't come out in April. So what's the problem? Well, the one thing about the fig tree is the fig tree has what's called breba fruit. And breba fruit isn't the fig, but it's a fruit to show what is to come? And this tree had none of it. All it had was leaves. It just had the showy. It just had the appearance of life. It had what looked good, but actually wasn't the reality. And it's to this that Jesus says, this tree looks good, but it it's, is not fulfilling the purpose of what it was to do. It's not fulfilling the What the prophet Micah said, Woe is me, I become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the fruits have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat. There is no first ripe fig that my soul desires. It's not evident just a bunch of showy leaves. And Jesus, looking at the temple, says, this tree, you're just like the temple. You're just like the tree. Like the priests, you've got all the appearance of life, but you've got no fruit. You've got uh, leaves of busyness and religious practice. You've got sacrificial animals that want to be offered. You have temple money wanting to be given. You have water for cleansing. And missing all of this, you've got no worship. You've got no, no reality of me being center place in your life. Instead, all we hear is the sound of money. Money. The, the sound of transactions and profits. <laughs> You're just filled in the temple with the deceptive and the opportunistic. You've got people coming in and wanting to bring their sacrifices for God. And the priest saying, no, no, those aren't sufficient. And so they would reject the offering and then take them and turn around and sell them to someone else as, as appropriate for sacrifice. Animals that the priest found effective. Just noise, just busyness, just plentiful leaves, just appearance. And the religion, it's got nothing to satisfy the hunger that God called you to meet. And this wasn't the first time that God had acted against the religious. This isn't the, second, or the first time he came to the temple to overturn it. He came before He came just after he did the miracle at Cana when he turned the water into wine. He came into that place as well, and he turned the temple upside down. He overturned the tables. And on that occasion, he took a whip and chased the money changers out of the temple. But just like snakes returning back to their den, they soon gathered again and just came racing back into the temple and just came repeating the religious sacrifice. So once again, as Mark 11 shows us, Jesus just coming in and cleaning out the temple, cleaning out the space so people could come in and and worship God. But not just cleaning out, getting to the very root and saying, your very root is dead. It isn't fulfilling the purpose. And after overturning the tables and releasing the cages, Jesus does something else. He says, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He's already got rid of the temple changers. He's already gotten rid of the animals. And he, as he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? This issue that he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple... What Jesus is saying is this. Listen, priests, you have been ordered through Leviticus and Numbers. We get the picture. You're supposed to bring the animals for sacrifice through the temple. You're supposed to take the water basins for cleansing and make it there for incense. You're supposed to take the blood of the offering and put it on the altar of incense. You're supposed to do all that. And Jesus says, you're not coming through the temple anymore. I forbid you. You're not going to do it anymore. Why? Because he was saying, your, your sacrifices... And your, your rituals, they're dead. It's over. The, the old of what you believe, the old covenants, the old rules, it's finished. Because one greater has come. It's Jesus. I've come in triumphal entry that you may know me that the orderly yearly services of sacrifice was over. That Jesus had come as God's official Passover lamb, that he was going to be the one. And it was this act that, as we see in the next verse, it says, Jesus doing what he did at the temple at this place, and it says that this act, and the chief priests and the scribes, they heard it, and they sought a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the multitude was astonished at his teaching. Jesus declaring all the ritual, all the ceremony, over. And by that act, he gave the opportunity for the priests in Israel what they would do with him. And they settled their own, sealed their own death sentence. Which brings us back to the fig tree. And it says... The next day, after these events had happened, it says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its root. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed, it's withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, And does not doubt in his heart, But believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Peter, when he sees the tree, he, he's amazed. But, but what Jesus says next about a mountain and faith, well, what, what sense were they to make of that? What did, what did a mountain have to do with this tree and, and faith? And again, Jesus stipulating that your empty practices, your going through the motions, your faith in trying to live right and do right, your faith in being right with God based on your terms, it's just empty. It's just dead. You've relied on your religiosity. You've relied on your spiritual things you do. And you've placed your faith in the wrong place. And Jesus taking the tree and cursing it to the tree, cursing it to the roots... Trying to get the priests in Israel to know you're looking in the wrong place. Our world is caught up in the religious. Uh, Doing the right thing. Getting to know God. God is warm and fuzzy and we can just come alongside of him. He's going to pass over to whatever I I think and do. Because he's a loving God. And God making it clear, it's not about your religious. It's not about your... Your things you do, your committees you're on, your, your ministries you're involved in has nothing to do with that. That, that. That's just leaves, just a bunch of leaves. It doesn't mean anything. Bringing the people to understand the relationship with God is based on the one that came and you've rejected. It's in a God that sees into the heart, not into the activities. It's in a God who says that he loves and forgives, a God that says he transforms. And the triumphal entry that Jesus coming into Jerusalem, it was a crossroads. That was bringing before people, what path will you take? Will you you take the path of staying on the activities? Or will you see who Jesus is? It was a crossroads that... Jesus coming as Messiah King was inviting people that they could know the living God, the one that we are told elsewhere in Scripture, it says that he came boldly and says, I am I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, it shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That I am actually the one that gives you full life, not observances and practices, but him. In this, Jesus is making a clear divide. Are you a people of appearance, or are you a people of faith? Jesus wanting to get to the heart of our relationship with him. Cleaning house and getting rid of the debris that look good, looks good but, but isn't. Worship that's seen, but it's not truly given. Prayers that are heard, but not authentically said. Sin that is hidden, but actually at the very core not confessed. Lives that are rich in leaves, but absence of life that really matters. Then he turns and says these words, Therefore... I tell you, listen up, I tell you, your choice is one or the other, but those of you who believe in me, those of you who know me, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. You who are the recipients of the real, live in that relationship. Examine who you are. To what degree am I letting practice and familiarity get in the way of really, truly knowing God? Know the God you serve. Know the God you follow. Know the God who actually loves and forgives and redeems. Have faith in the one who has actually called you and said, you're my child. So as possessors of faith, he's saying to these ones, possessors of faith live possessed by faith. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it against the backdrop of empty religion and ritual. Do you and I understand that we are actually called to be a people in relationship with the living God? Believing faith in the triumphant king who entered in the humility of a servant, here telling his disciples, whatever you ask in my name. I will do for you. So, what does that tell us? Well, I think the first and critical point that we need to understand is this, and it's these are words easier to say. But as those who have put our faith in Christ, our faith is to be in a loving, living, acting, redeeming God. Uh, let me say those words again. It is to be invested in a living, acting, loving, redeeming God. Not in words, but in who he is. And it was the fig tree that he cursed because he wanted to reveal there is no life beneath the leaves. And our choice of understanding whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, is rooted in this. Our believing, our faith, is in accordance with our understanding of who He is. I said last week that our understanding of God is so far off the mark. That God has said that I am supreme over all. I'm the one that spoke the mountains into existence with a word. I am the one that calmed the seas just by speaking. I'm the one who spanned everything into existence. I am sovereign. I am powerful. I am one of overwhelming glory. And those words are not to be just things that you can describe me by. There are things I want you to know me by. That that is the God in whom he has called us to have relationship. And when we get that right, when we really understand that this God of all power, all majesty, all sovereignty is the God that says, I love you with all my heart and i have given my son that you may know me that you may call me father is the god that says to the disciples whatever you ask believing in prayer you will receive it and as we listen to those words are easy and they've been much abused but but understand again who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples. They are people who have known Jesus, who have lived with Jesus, who know his heart. They've seen his actions. They've seen his love. They've tasted it. They know it. It's believing because of we know. And it's submitting ourselves to the fact that we know this living God who loves us with incredible passion. And, and that's the relationship he wants with us, that we may know him In total. And sadly, we have taken heresy like the name it and claim it philosophy. Well, just name it and claim it and it's yours. And and because of a heresy and a, a wrong application of whatever my needs are, you'll fill it. We as believers often have pulled back and settled for a relationship with God and with Jesus. That is all leafy. It's just show. We don't ask much because we don't really believe much. We don't trust much because we don't really understand who he has called us to. And so we ask little because we believe little. We, we believe that, well, maybe that's true, but not really. But God says, I'm your father who loves you. Now The truth of it is, as we're told in James is weird we're told, Mark, whatever you ask, and then we're told in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith... With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. The pardon being is, well, I'll throw it out there, and if maybe you want to answer God, maybe you will. But the fact is, do we know who we're asking? Have we submitted our will to the one we're asking? It's ultimately for God to determine how he answers. But our faith is not in the outcome. Our faith is in the one who told us to ask. There are conditions of what we're to ask. We're told, whatever you ask, it needs to be asked according to what God's will is. If we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. That he listens to us. He may not answer in the way that we necessarily expect, but he has said, I will hear you, and that's either true or it's a lie. He hears us if we ask according to his will, We are told that whatever we ask, we're to ask for the right purposes. You don't have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I'm not about filling in your lottery ticket. But I am committed to accomplish my will through you. I'm committed to that. I'm committed to serve you what is best for you as my child. You as a child won't always understand that. But I'm committed to you. Whatever you ask... Ask for the right purposes. We're also told, whatever you ask, ask with your lives rightly aligned. Don't, don't come to me with this discordant life of saying, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of God, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Don't say, I act like this as a husband, and treat my wife this way. Your faith and your relationship with me are to be harmonious. I will answer according to, are you walking faithfully with me, seeking my will? And then as we're told in Mark, that we are to ask with relationships rightly connected. Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. (laughs) Yeah, but you don't know what this person did to me. Listen, if you want a relationship with a forgiving, hearing, loving God, then forgive as I've forgiven you within relationship with a God who says, trust me, ask of me, believe in me. Triumphant entry is where the chapter begins. And sometimes in our North American Christianity, we are so apt to have the triumphal entry as an event, as a story, as a back there situation and I would suggest to you and me that God is saying I want a triumphal entry into your life that you will love me that you will know my love that you'll enter into that relationship with me not just as a believer who came to faith in Christ but one who walks with me and believes in me and trusts in me because I am your father who will hear and listen I will respond in a way that is best for you sometimes you'll understand that sometimes you won't But I love you, I hear you, I know you. And in that place, we are to ask boldly with believing faith. Because we're told that this God who did the ultimate to forgive us is not going to turn a deaf ear to when we ask. So the invitation of Mark 11... You can hear a lot of noise. But amidst the noise, I come with triumphal entry into into your lives that you may know relationship with me. Not just to save me, but to live with me that you may know. The living, powerful, all-loving, sovereign God that says, I want entry into your life. And that, my friends, is a triumphal entry that will only be exceeded by one, and that's a triumphal entry when He is going to come again. We will see Him on the clouds. We'll see Him as He is, as He comes, Redeemer, Savior, Victorious King, as we sung about. So pray boldly. Let's pray. So, Lord God, we we come to you. We know that you are the one who came that we might know you. You came as one that loves us, has redeemed us. And Lord, it's so easy to retreat into the showy, into the ritual, into the ceremonial, that we can speak truth about you, but we don't enter into truth with you. So, Lord, we pray that, that we will have a triumphal entry of a new encounter with you. That we may pray boldly, knowing not, not our will, but yours be done, so that our lives will be changed, and that your kingdom will be known throughout this earth. And we pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.